Oh, it looks like over half, right? Two, three, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ah, three quarters. Two thirds between two thirds and three quarters. Good morning. Okay, let's see what's what. Um, I guess the other people felt there was too much reading. Um, Isabel, yes. Uh, Gila, she was late the last couple of days. Tate, who was, I think she wasn't here yesterday either. This is bizarre pen. Um, Faith. Nope. Sam. Uh, Justy. Yeah. yeah, you should all be knowing each other too. Henry. Um, but he has been here. Uh, Robbie. Robbie, right? Rob. Rob. <laughs> Rob. Rob. How'd you know I met you then? But I didn't say Rob. Maya, uh, make yourself known to everyone. Maya, that's Maya. Uh, do you know about Maya Darren? Okay, well, you will. Um, ben, Matt, Danielle, hi, uh, Marielle, Crystal, uh, Nick. And Clay is not here. Okay. Um, well, since it's just us, why don't we do Auden's Lullaby again? <laughs> You're nervous. <laughs> um, we're going to look at the two nurses' songs. Uh, did people read the two versions of Casabianca? Yeah. Um, he said unenthusiastically. That was sort of a... No, no, no. I, I, was, I was very, um, very kind of like... Affected by the the um the Felicia Human version. The sorry? The uh, Felicia Humans version. You were affected by it. Yeah, but and then when I found the Elizabeth one I wasn't sure that I was reading the right thing. Um <laughs> departure. Uh but it was Casabianca. Yeah. And but it, and it was I guess I was expecting more of an emulation than a kind of Takedown. Yeah. Um, Takedown is probably too strong, but that's what it feels like the yeah. first time. Um, I mean, it is, she quotes Hemans' poem. She does, but it's, you know, it's going from this almost epic, which has some of the, the best rhyming couplets I've ever heard, to like this very abstract kind of <coughs> two stanzas of blocky, you know. Reinterpretation. Huh. Interesting. Um, okay, well, I do want us to get to the nurse's song, but what did other people think about the two versions? Yeah. It almost, Rob. When I, when I read both, like, in succession, it almost seemed like it was, like, throwing it back in our face. Uh-huh. It almost even seemed, like, like angry at the pump. Really? It's weird to me. Yeah. That's it. That's really interesting. I don't read it that way, so that's that. That is interesting, Ben. Or it's funny you said that you thought you were reading the wrong thing when you opened it. Cause I remember the first time I read it, like it was the very end of a page. I turned the page and I was like, "That's it? What? <laughs> <laughs> that's all there is?" Well, it's a good Two last crappy line, little stanzas. I had to read it <laughs> solid like ten times before I actually got anything out of it. Okay. Um, now, is there a Republican response to? <laughs> no, no, I, I'm not. I, 
after I read it several times, I liked it a lot. Oh, okay, nice. It took, it good took recovery. Several, it took me several repetitions Real, to actually understand Really good it recovery. All. Okay, Isabel. There's something quieter about Elizabeth Bishop's poem, something so I feel like she's taken in and thought about it in terms of her own life. Uh-huh. Rather than being this sort of figure on the pedestal that's now yeah. herself. Okay, so good, yeah. Um, Sam. Mm -hmm. like, yeah, like uh-huh okay um Nick. i felt like the um second poem echoed what the form of the first poem should have been like the first poem like the meter was so upbeat yeah that it was like wow you're talking about a burning ship and a burning boy uh-huh whereas the second and it's but it's so like upbeat that you don't really get that but the second poem has the the meter that you would that would be more expected okay um it's you could certainly tell the difference in centuries right just if someone had said uh well obviously you can tell the one is after the other but if someone had said what century do you think this poem is what century do you think this other one is i think everyone would get that elizabeth bishop is um after modern after modernism comes in. Um, no one would think that was a 19th century poem, right? Um, a line like, stammering out elocution is not a line that you're going to get in um, more rhythmically, um, where, where in a poem where meter is more prominent. Um, that requires, I don't know whether, I, I just want to know if you guys have a sense of this. Um, you may not, and that that's fine, but it probably requires um, a revolution in the idea of poetry of the sort that we get at the beginning of the 20th century um, with the coming of free verse and the kind of flexibility in the poetic line um, that is associated with um, the coming of poets like Pound and Eliot. Um, is this something, is this new to you or is this something that you kind of have a sense of? That a line like um, loves the boy stood on the burning deck stammering out elocution is very different from the boy stood on the burning deck whence all but he had fled. Um, and one is certainly going to feel more old-fashioned than the other, and you might be able even to peg that old-fashionedness as 18th or 19th century um, versus 20th or 21st century, which is, which is bishop. Um, do, do people agree with that, or is that, um, I just, it, it, you know, it, if you don't, that's fine. You're not supposed to know that already. But um, I think everyone has some vague sense of um, developments in poetry. Um, I do want us to get back to it. Um, but I did want us to look first at the nurses' songs. Um, does anyone need a copy? Um, all right, so, so what we were talking about on um, Monday in and what we've been talking about now for a week in talking about lullabies uh, is something that maybe right on the um, opposite face, the facing page from the nurse's song is that um, lullaby or whatever it is by Skelton um, that goes with lullay lullay like a child. And the only thing that I want to point out to you there is that Auden may have this poem in mind 
when he begins lullaby. That is, it's with lullay, lullay like a child, thou sleeps too long, thou art beguiled. Um, and that idea that the sleeper is being beguiled by the person singing the lullaby um, is the beginning of the Auden poem also. Lay your sleeping head, my love, human on my faithless arm. And what that tells us, and this is, um, I think, a crucial point for a whole lot of the um, poetry, a whole lot of the literature that we'll be reading, including Turn of the Screw. Um, what that tells us is there's um, a really interesting implicit three-personed structure to a lullaby. There is the sleeper who isn't hearing the words because she's sleeping, or in the case of Skelton, he's sleeping. Um, and to the extent that he's hearing anything, what he's hearing is something that is to soothe him out of hearing it. Um, that's why there are so many nonsense syllables in lullaby, why lullaby itself is a nonsense syllable. Actually, I don't know whether the, I think, but I don't know um, that the word lull comes from lullaby. Um, I think it might. That is to, to, um, to sing a lullaby is then said to be to lullaby or to lull someone to sleep. I should check that out. Um, but I can't think of a root for lull if it doesn't come from lullaby, in which case what lullaby would be is um, the name itself is implying the nonsensicalness of the words to the sleeper. Um, so with lullay, lullay like a child, that is supposed to put the man in this poem to sleep. Um, and that's what lullabies do, lullaby and goodnight. Um, are, they're, they're all leading someone who is in a hypnagogic state towards hypnos, um, someone who is half asleep towards sleepiness through nonsense and through a, through a kind of divergence of rhythm and sound from meaning. That's how they work. Is that, um, and that's what happens when you fall asleep, is that the meanings start becoming very strange and in a sense unimportant. They seem, things seem to have meaning, but they don't. And all that matters is that they seem to have meaning. So lullabies do that. On the other hand, in all the lullabies we've looked at, including Rockabye Baby, there is strong meaning in the words, in the lines, but it's a meaning that is not supposed to be understood by the addressee of the lullaby. So. Thou art beguiled, says the beguiler to the man. Um, she is singing him to sleep, and as she's singing him to sleep, we can get a sense of his own obliviousness in the, t in, the, in the real sense of obliviousness. That is, he's falling into forgetfulness. He's falling into um, um, absolute inattentiveness. And we can get a sense of his obliviousness by the fact that she can say to him, Thou art beguiled. Thou sleeps too long, thou art beguiled. And she's telling him what she's about to do, um, which is to, to put him to sleep and then go off with another guy while he's snoring. Um, so the words do mean something, 
and they mean something coherent, and they mean something that we can interpret, um, but not to the official addressee. So here's a really interesting um, here's a really interesting phenomenon, which is that poetry which addresses a you, lay your sleeping head, thou sleeps too long, thou art beguiled. Um, uh, um, everyone is delighted by you, but I must own that I shall miss you when you are grown. They're all addressed to a you, and in every case the you can't understand or isn't supposed to understand what's being addressed to him or her, um, whether because of sleep or too young or for whatever reason. Yeah? I'm trying to point out this isn't really a lullaby in any real sense because it's not spoken by the woman. Well, it's... Um, it says she, she, yeah. she, repetitively. Yeah. It's an yeah. observer of somebody being lulled to sleep by a lullaby. Yeah, um, but the with lolly lolly like a child is also, it's, it's, there, there's a, co a very complicated um, interaction of kind of chorus with um, narrative. And the chorus is, in a sense, um, what everyone would sing. Everyone is singing lullaby to him, but then we get the narrative that this lullaby is going around. It's not, it's not worth um, teasing out at this point, um, but it's, there isn't a single speaker. Of, um, of, of this, even though there's a single quoth John Skelton, there isn't quite a single speaker. Um, it's more a mood, and the mood um, shifts in and out of narrative. So what you're saying is right, um, but the, the thing that I want to focus on is, is, just for this point, is the um, idea that he's not saying, wake up, when he says, you don't say with lolly lolly like a child that sleeps too long thou art beguiled, if it were simply that second line, it would be, wake up, she's stepping out on you. But it's not. It's, there's a pleasure in the idea of him being lulled to sleep by the first line of the poem as well. Um, the first line of the poem is a lullaby line. Um, the with there is like a with a hey, nani, no. In other words, it's not you're being beguiled with these words. Um, it's just a in nonsense singing. The witha is actually an indication that we're dealing with a chorus, with a hey, nani, hey, nani, no. Um, or uh, in Finnegan's Wake, the song um, on which Joyce based a novel, it's, um, what is it, with a whack, harrow, dance to your partner, oh, wealth to the... Whack, yeah, whack to the, the darner, dance to your partner, world before your shadow's shake. Yeah, isn't it the truth I've told you? Lots of fun in Finnegan's Wake. Nice. Um, so there are nonsense syllables that the sleeper doesn't or cannot or should not hear for whatever reason. And then there's a story that the sleeper isn't aware of. And in more standard lullabies, okay, I'll give you that this isn't standard, in more standard lullabies, um, that story then isn't for the sleeper, but for someone else. Um, in Rockabye Baby and all sorts of lullabies that um, you can think of and all sorts of Mother Goose stories, it's partly that the lullaby is um, for the bored um, singer. That is, oh God, this child is still not going to sleep. Um, I'm going to sing very soothingly about very violent things for my own entertainment. Um, and, you know, that's a standard thing to do. Um, you've probably done it. You've certainly seen it. Um, it's always a fun um, uh, thing to see in a movie or on stage, uh, someone performing words as though they're saying something really pleasant when they're saying something really unpleasant. Um, 
in um, Top Hat, for example, uh, there's a scene in which um, um, Edward Bloor is talking to an Italian policeman who he thinks doesn't understand English, so he says very smilingly, Oh, you pompous, idiotic ass. And he just smiles his way through about three minutes of, of insult. Um, his voice is saying one thing, um, but his words are saying something else. Um, spoiler alert is that, in fact, the guy does understand English, and it turns out not to have been a good idea. Um, but um, what he thought he was doing then was entertaining himself, just the way someone singing Rockabye Baby um, thinks they're entertaining themselves. When it's printed, something that's implicit but then becomes explicit when it's printed, when it's written, um, when it's given to the world, is that there's also the reader. So the so we in and Auden's poem makes this makes uh, makes this point as well as any other that we are aware and are overhearing a poem in which we are the only people the only people that the poem can speak to who understand what it says, whereas the um, person the poem is ostensibly directed to can't or doesn't understand what it says. Um, so a very famous definition <coughs> of lyric poetry is, um, jo is um, John Stuart Mill's, um, where he says that what lyric poetry is is, is overheard speech, the speech that we overhear. Um, and again, that gets you a sort of tripartite um, idea behind poetry. There's the poet. There's whoever or whatever the poet is addressing, whether with a you or not, um, but something that is concerning the poet and that the poem in some way is supposed to um, affect the poet's relation to, even if it just means thinking something through. Um, there's a reason for expression, and um, that reason is that it should, that it should do something. If you feel love and you express love, you've done something by expressing it. Um, if you feel anxiety and express anxiety, you've done something by expressing it. And then there's us. And we're not um, in the poem by name most of the time. Very rarely will poems have lines like, reader, I married him, to use the famous line from Jane Eyre. Um, we're not addressed um, by the poem most of the time. Yeats isn't saying to us, I shall miss you when you are grown. Um, but we are nevertheless in the position of being able to get more about the relation of the expressor to the thing um, for whom or for which the poem was written for than the addressee of the poem. And lullabies um, bring that out very, very clearly. Um, OK, let's look at the Innocence version of the nurse's song. Um, who wants to read it? Jesse? When the voices of children are heard on the green and laughing is heard on the hill, my heart is at rest within my breast and everything else is still. Then come home, my children, the sun is gone down, and the dews of night arise. 
Come, come, leave off play, and let us away, till the morning appears in the skies. No, no, let us play, for it is yet day, and we cannot go to sleep. Besides, in the sky the little birds fly, and the hills are all covered with sheep. Well, well, go and play, till the light fades away, and then go home to bed. The little ones leap at and shouted and laughed, and all the hills echo it. Thank you. Um, okay, so what's to be said about that? We could raise the, the same question that Ben raised about, um, <coughs> about Skelton, um, which is, to what extent is this the nurse's actual song, and to what extent is it a song about the nurse? That is, is the nurse the singer um, or not? in the poem. Nick, you were going to say something. Um, I was just going to say that the last line struck me because it's kind of just all. Um, I didn't read it echo end mm -hmm. is part of it. Yeah. But even so, it's like a syllable too short uh -huh. where it feels that way. Yeah. Um, yeah, it does. Um, it's Especially if you do it as echoed. But um, you're almost forced to say echo ed. Um, Blake doesn't put in the accents. That's um, um, what editors have done that for you. Um, you're forced to say echo ed because the line will really feel too short without it. Um, so you have to do a little bit of body English um, to get the line both to rhyme and to at least start approaching sufficient length. Nice. Rob? Um, at first that, that struck me as the same way, but then when I thought about it, uh, the word echoed is like a continuation, to con it keeps reverberating and keeps going, and at the same time the lines cut short, so you, you are left to think there will be more, uh -huh. almost. Yeah. So it, they just keep, they seem to play hand in hand. Yeah. Um, I think if you turned it just to hear what it would, how it would feel metrically right is if it were, um, that is metrically standard, is if you just change it to, and all of the hills echo ed. Then you get the da 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 da, right? Does everyone hear that that would um, that the effect is different and and um, more noticeable between the little ones leap it and and shouted and laughed and all of the hills echo ed, that's just ballad meter, versus the little ones leap it and shouted and laughed and all the hills echo ed, and there it does feel like there's something if not missing something silent there, which might, again, be appropriate. Um, you could almost put a rest at the end of the line. Um, you know how you can put a musical rest even at the end of a measure, at the end of a piece? Um, and that's part of the piece, the rest, even though there's no, no sound being played. Um, so it might be that we register a rest there somewhere, and, that's what, and that you're right, that's the echoing dying away. Ben. He also breaks the rhythm scheme with these uh, triple stresses in mm -hmm. several places. Come, come, leave. No, no, let. Well, mm -hmm. well, go. Just kind of like nice. Other. Also, this is this nurse is pretty derelict in her duty. I would say. Do you? Why? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you can't just let kids play outside all night. It doesn't really work that way. Well, it's not all night. Um, well, it's till the light fades away. You think you can trust these kids to go inside when it turns dark? Well, so what book is it from? Innocence. Yeah, the songs of innocence. Exactly. Uh, Gil, were you going to say something? It was sorry. Okay. Um, so, is she singing it? Maya. I mean, it seems like the first part that's not in quotes is, like, 
she's saying it or it's in her head, and then then she's speaking, and then the children are speaking, and then she's speaking again. Okay, so in a way, the question is, what about the last two lines? Um, is that in the nurse's voice, or is that um, simply narrative by the poet? So obviously, um, it's called Nurse's Song. It opens with a first-person um, singer. When the voices of children are heard on the green and laughing is heard on the hill, my heart is at rest within my breast, and everything else is still. Um, so that's, that's the nurse. And what do we think of her? How do we feel about her? Like her. Why? Yeah. She seem, she, uh, she seems connected with the children. Yeah. Connected um, in what sense? Like in the sense that she loves them, feels for them. Okay. Yeah. Mariel. Um, I was going to say that it seems like she's happy and at peace when they're happy and playing. Like when she hear they're laughing, her heart is at rest. Mm -hmm. Which makes her seem like she's peaceful like when the children she's in childhood are happy and yeah. do what they wish. Yeah, yeah. So, um, that, so we like her because she likes them. Yeah. And she likes their happiness. She's not jealous of their happiness. Um, it gives her happiness to, to hear them being happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good. Yeah, Justy. Um, yeah, sort of just the same thing. She, she seems particularly empathetic. She's, she has enough responsibility. Like, she's responsible. She's asking them to come in, but she also, you know, this isn't like the super hard-ass Catholic nurse at, the, at the, the school who's like, like, no, you can't play another 10 minutes. Come in right now. Mm -hmm. So, and I, you know, and we all, I guess, have memories. Of, you know, we had a teacher like that. We had a caretaker like that. So I think that it's a universally relatable experience as well. Okay, good. Yeah, Gila. I just have a technical question. I'm a little confused because in the second stanza it says the sun has gone down and the dews of night arise. Mm -hmm. But then at the end it says go and play till the light fades away. Yeah. So it seems like it. It seems like the sun had already gone down. So now she's giving them extra time. Why? Like till the light fades away. That's already happened. Uh, Maya wants to answer. Um, I think that's kind of. Well, since she's saying, like, she's saying both of the parts, um, she could just be saying that to get the kids to come in. Like, when I, when I used to babysit, I would be like, okay, you can stay up for, like, five more minutes. And since I couldn't tell time, I would just be like, it's been five minutes, time to go to sleep. <laughs> so I think it's kind of a, like, manipulation of them. Then. Also, I don't know if you guys have been outside at night, but there is a, a temporal difference between when the sun goes beneath the horizon. I don't and know if you've been outside away. at night. <laughs> Did you just say that? <laughs> so try that sometime. <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool. Because <laughs> the light is still actually in the sky for a little while longer. It's actually it's called you, twilight. There are actually three different kinds of twilight. Twilight. There are three. There's um, something called. Um, do people know this? Civic twilight. Um, nautical twilight and astronomical twilight. This is this is definitely worth looking up on Wikipedia. Which one is the book? Uh, which one is the book? Which book? The book series. Oh, stop. Oh, that. Oh, you had to remind us. Um, that's that's probably nautical twilight. So civic twilight is basically when um, when people think it's now nighttime, 
um, nautical twilight is um, is actually substantially darker, and astronomical twilight is darker still. And you can draw a line um, on a map of the globe on the solstice um, where um, you don't get astronomical twilight on the longest day of the year. And I think it goes as far south as Paris on June 21st. There's no astronomical twilight. Um, so there are a lot of different twilights. Um, have you read, do you read Joyce? So, yeah, I had Professor Plotz's uh, Irish literature class. And you did some Finnegan's Wake? Uh, oh, no, no. I know, oh. Finnish, I know Finnegan's Wake because my dad played the Irish folk music. Oh, okay. All right. There's a there's a um, twilight means two lights, um, and there's a pun that Joyce makes on that. But um, basically, it's it's uh, it's daylight and night light simultaneously. So it's the it's it's the it's the time when there are two lights together, um, darkness and light. Rob, uh, well, I was just gonna say that's why I like the way I, I visualized it was like the kids playing over the hill in the twilight, the Kurosawa style. Yeah, yeah. And that's the way it struck. Especially if it's hills, yeah. um, that is that the darkness is uneven. So yeah, Kierskira is 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 right. Um, so yeah, it's the it's the sun has gone down and the dews of night arise, and they say no, it is yet day. In other words, the argument is, um, well, if you've ever been outside at night, um, if you've ever played tennis or baseball as it gets dark. Um, they're the kids who say it's too dark to play, and then they're the kids who say, no, we can still see the ball. We can play for another 15 minutes. Um, and slowly people leave you, and then you're left alone um, in the dews of night, like Charlie Brown. Um, but that's, that's what the argument is here. They're saying it's yet day because they can still see light over the horizon. Um, it's still light enough for them to sleep. They're enjoy I mean, for them to, to play. They're enjoying um, their, their games outside. Um, the nurse wants to get them in because she sees the dark coming. Um, they don't want to come in yet because it's not dark yet. There's still time. Yeah. There's also sort of an obvious metaphor of light, uh, light as youth and night mm -hmm. as old age. The, yeah. light, the light is still in the sky for her. She still feels this connection to the children, this sense of innocence. That's yeah. why this poem belongs in the, the poems of innocence. Okay. But, yeah, good. But she sees the dark coming. Right. It's coming for her. Not for them. It's still day for them, but the dark is coming for her. Okay. So she sees the dark coming, um, and what she says is um, that... Um, the dews of night arise. Um, dews is a, in the 19th century, in the 18th century, um, dews were felt to be disease carrying. Um, that is, dews were, we think of, oh, the dew is so lovely. Um, but at the, at, um, the way it was felt to be is it was just really weird that the world got kind of dank and wet at night. And it was probably a good thing to avoid. Um, so that is um, metaphorically a potentially strong line. The dews of night would be um, every bad thing that will happen to you after childhood or the things that you're threatened with when the day of childhood ends. So on your metaphorical reading, that would be a crucial um, line, the dews of night arise. Um, but they're saying, no, no, let us play, for it is yet day. 
Um, which, again, in the metaphorical reading would mean what? What are the children saying? We're still young. Yeah, we're still children. Um, let us play for it is yet day. And the four there then would be um, um, really a powerful word there because what it would do is go back to what, the, what playing means, right? No, no, what, what do they mean by that line? No, no, let us play for it is yet day. Yeah, I can still see my hands. I can still see my hands, um, and that is to say, the reason it's reasonable for us to ask to continue to play is that it's still daytime, um, and I can still see my hands. We can still see our hands. Um, what does the poem mean if we read it Ben's way? That is metaphorically. What does the poem mean by that line, Maya? Okay, um, yeah. Well, if you look at it in tandem with the next line, which is, and we cannot go to sleep, it's a kind of very human manner of resisting death, kind of, you know, we can't, we don't want to come in, we don't want to think about the problems of the world and work and growing old because we, you know, we're, we're so wrapped up in our, in our lives that death doesn't even exist to us right now. Okay. Um, there's, I think there's something, I think that's absolutely right. I think there's, there's, um, uh, there's a slightly interesting, and only slight, not sl only slightly interesting, only slight grammatical ambiguity in what the word for means there. Um, because the for can mean um, it's okay for us to play, here's why it is yet day. Um, we, we shouldn't have to come in yet, here's why, because it's still day. Um, but it can also mean something like um, what we want to do is play because it is still the daytime of our lives. In other words, we're not worried that night is going to come and that we're no longer going to want to play. It can be almost like um, because it's day, what's appropriate for us at our time of life is playing. They wouldn't quite be saying that to themselves. Um, that couldn't. That that has to be sort of words put into their mouths, if you understand the meaning that way. Um, but the meaning would be something like they're in the time of life when they play. Um, so let them play, for it is for them still day. Um, and that's a slightly different meaning of the word for. And what allows us to understand that second meaning, even though they're the ones speaking it is um, that the first meaning is the obvious one. We can still see our hands. We should be allowed to play. And then the irony, and there is a kind of irony, which is when someone says something that they don't realize they're saying. The irony is that the second meaning is there also. Let them play, for in their life it is still daytime. Don't force them to uh, <coughs> clean toilets at age nine in order to get um, a really good sense of um, personal responsibility. It's still day for them. Let them play. So metaphorically, let them play, let them play for it is yet day for them means they're in the time of their life where, where they should enjoy playing. 
no, no, let us play for it is yet day simply means something innocent. We can still see our hands. And so she agrees. Um, besides in the sky the little birds fly and the hills are all covered with sheep. Well, well, she says, go and play till the light fades away. Um, and that becomes metaphorically pretty grim, um, till the light fades away. But okay, it's summer. It's um, a long twilight. Um, and then go home to bed. Now, what is it that makes so we've we've seen some darkness in this in this poem, but what makes it a song of innocence? How do we read it non-darkly? How, what would someone um, who says, "No, you're reading too much into this. This is actually a perfectly happy poem." What evidence do they have? And they do have evidence that it's a perfectly happy poem. Yeah, Maya. I mean, the poem ends on a pretty happy note because oh. she's talking about the light fading away which could be death but then the children are still like playing and having fun uh-huh okay so it ends happily um the little ones <coughs> leap it and shout and laughed and all the hills echo ahead um so it um it just kept going and it was great and um she said yes they could play and they did and it was wonderful um and the dues didn't take them um, what else in the poem? If you're going to say, look, night is coming, and that's, the poem makes that very clear in some of its lines, what would someone say against that? Against the metaphorical reading of night? Yeah, Rob. It's inevitable. Well, but that would, st that would still be a sad fact of our, of our lives as mortal beings. Um, Marielle. Um, maybe just like the fact that night is coming, the kids still want to play, like, while they know, like, the sun will set some point, like, logically, like, oh, but it's not yet, so we're going to play while we can. Okay. Here, I'm going to, I'm going to go way far afield for a second and, and tell you about a really interesting article on, on weakness of will. So we all know weakness of will um, is a strange um, thing that we want to do something, but we can't. Um, we really don't want to have a cigarette, and yet we have it. So why? Because we're, because of weakness of will. Um, this article um, by a philosopher named Donald Davidson, um, the really interesting thing he does in the article is to say, no, sometimes you can show weakness of will um, in uh, doing something virtuous that there's no point in doing. And his example is, I'm really, really tired. I have to get up early the next morning. Um, I really need my sleep. Um, but I get up to brush my teeth. Despite the fact that teeth decay very, very slowly and skipping brushing your teeth once isn't really going to make a difference. Um, and he regards that as an example of weakness of will because he did the right thing. He did the harder thing, but he did it out of weakness of will, got up and brushed his teeth instead of going right to sleep. So I want to ask a similar question about this poem. I hope that's interesting. He, he takes 20 pages to, to, to discuss it, but he discusses it very well. Um, which is, so we're reading in our dark poetry reading way all sorts of dark poetic things into this poem. Um, what if we tried it using the same analytical powers to argue um, just as stringently and just as subtly that no, actually this is a poem of happiness and not a poem of threatened unhappiness or that the um, not only does it end happily but the poem itself is throughout suggesting that um, 
that the kind of darkness that people have been seeing coming is not the darkness that's coming in the poem. Nick? Um, well, I think just the fact that the nurse is living kind of vicariously through the children and trying to be happy because of the children makes it a happy poem. Okay. So one thing is, when the children are a little bit older, how old will they be? What other character, what, what character is in this poem is of the age that the children will reach when they're a little bit older? Jeans. Yeah, good. Um, hard question to ask correctly, easy question to answer. Yeah, in other words, what does adulthood um, hold for them according to this poem? Oh, well, I mean, if, if it's as cyclical as it seems, they'll, they'll get to take care of yeah. their children, and they'll get joy from that. Right. And this isn't Catcher in the Rye. She's not faithless. She's not saying, you know, go and play your silly games, human, while I faithless watch, or something. Um, she's, not, um, she's not the way Holden Caulfield is saying, you know, I have to stand here at the edge because terrible things are going to happen while while they do this. Um, Holden Caulfield sees his own sadness as what protects those who are happy. Um, he takes the sadness onto him in order to protect those who are happy. He wants to do it, but their happiness doesn't make him happy. Um, their happiness is something he wants without it making them happy. The same we could say about Auden in Lullaby. Yeah. Um, I think that the one Uh huh. Because um, it pertains to the children, then I think it is a half poem. Yeah. But I mean, I, <clears throat> I, excuse me, I chose to read it as the nurse's innocence. Yeah. Um, which makes it completely different, and then it's not so happy. Well, if innocence means um, ignorance, if innocence means cluelessness, right? Well, I mean, if it's innocence in, in reference to experience, which I think that is, because that's the other one. Okay, so just so you know, um, Blake published a book called Songs of Innocence in um, 1788. And that was simply the name of the book, Songs of Innocence. And it had this poem and some other poems, including The Lamb, um, in it. Five years later, he published a poem called Songs of Innocence and of Experience. So this poem you should see as not originally offered in contrast with experience. It's simply, you know, what could be more delightful than a book called Songs of Innocence? Um, and so if you, if you see it in contrast with experience, you're kind of assuming what the person who would argue against you wouldn't assume, um, would say you, you don't have a warrant for that assumption, which is that innocence here means um, naivete. Um, but what if it doesn't mean naivete? What if it means, um, you know, we're all innocent? That's a great thing about human beings, is that we're all innocent. No matter how guilty we are, we're fundamentally innocent. The child inside us view of things that you get from uh, Eric Fromm, for example. Yeah, Ben. But even the songs in the, the poems in the Songs of Innocence are set against a backdrop of something else, almost all of them, including the lamb when you're or the little, the one, the little, uh, the little black boy or something like yeah. that. I don't remember the yeah. song. Oh, yeah. But 
there's almost always some negative, a shadow cast by the public. Oh, yeah. Which you, which you have to be aware of. Yeah. No, there's a shadow cast. There's always a shadow cast. But you could say, let's take innocence to mean, in the songs of innocence, let's take innocence to mean something like, um, what you want to be, what a desirable state is, what it would mean not to be cruel or harsh to others, but to be a good person. Innocence in, this, in almost in a, in a legal sense, which is I'm innocent. We find you innocent. That's all great. So we, sophisticates, um, are tempted to take innocence as meaning something like naivete. Um, but what if you simply say, hasn't done, hasn't hurt others, that those who live their lives without hurting others, like the lamb, those who live their lives without hurting others, are entitled to everything that the innocent are entitled to. They're innocent of any terrible crime. If you read it that way, then what you would say is, okay, so you grow a little older, and if the children have a good childhood, then they will also have an innocent adulthood like the nurse. Not a naive adulthood. She knows the dews of night are, are, are arise. She knows that it's going to be dark soon. But nevertheless, um, an innocent adulthood because she loves the children and she takes joy in their joy. And so you get joy all the way around. Joy from childhood, joy through adulthood, if you're innocent. There are lots of people who don't. Um, but those who do, they get joy all the way through. And that's why this is a song of innocence. Then I think what would um, push you in that direction, that is the sophist, what, see what I'm trying to, just the way Davidson is saying there can be weakness of the will um, which causes you to do um, things which are supposedly virtuous, like brushing your teeth. You do them out of weakness of the will. That's the reversal. What I'm trying to suggest here is there can be a reading of this poem which sees innocence as sophisticated. That is not that the nurse is sophisticated, although she might be semi-sophisticated, but that Blake is giving a sophisticated um, uh, brief for innocence and saying, no, innocence will save you. And he's making a sophisticated argument that innocence will save you. And the way that would work, I think, is if you look at something, I mean, something like um, her saying, come, come, leaf off play and let us away till the morning appears in the skies. That is, this is not a night that lasts forever. This is a night that lasts a summer night. And then it'll be morning again. And where will they go after they've been um, playing and when it finally does get dark? Not into the wilds and wildernesses of, um, of, of Cormac McCarthy's The Road, but go home to bed. That's good, too. That is, so play until it's dark, then go home to bed. And then tomorrow it'll be morning and you can play some more. Um, that would be, you can't dismiss those lines if you're going to say, oh, night is coming and, and um, the dews of night arise and soon it will be dark and your day will be over. Um, you have to give at least as much credence to the lines that say, but tomorrow it will be morning and you'll spend the night in bed, in your bed, you know, in your home. Go home to bed. Um, those are those are lines that have to be paid attention to as well. They're harder in poetry classes to pay attention to. Um, but that's a little bit part of the point of this poem, is that they're harder to pay attention to, and yet you have to do so. Ben? I just, <clears throat> I don't necessarily think that those two things are separate from each other. The idea of innocence as naivety and the idea that it can save you. 
mm-hmm. think being naive often saves you in poetry. Not knowing something is what is the best thing you can ever do. But if you get that out of the reading, then you already know it, so you're damned. <laughs> um, I think that's I think that's what's supposed to be there. Okay. If do you think if you're sophisticated, you're going to see the the looming shadow that's cast by the beautiful innocence of the poem. Yeah. But if you see it, then you've already lost that innocence. So maybe one question would be to set, to ask: Does the nurse? Would the nurse see it or not? No, that's um, why I, I don't think. At least not fully, not consciously. Okay. Um, was someone else's hand up? It was, but then you looked at the clock. So, all right. Um, we will look at the experience version tomorrow, and we'll also look at the two Casabianca poems. Who did them with plots? Um, you two did. Okay. So, and you did also. Um, but you were surprised, or you weren't surprised? That's when I read it the first time. That the first time you were surprised. Okay. All right. So, um, so we'll talk about the experience version of Nurse's Song and the two um, Casabianca poems, and then next week we'll try to catch up a little bit with our non-existent syllabus.